Boy, those steps. I was uh, kind of concerned about that this morning. Those are, I was hoping that I could get to the railing, but I didn't try. But Anyway, my, my legs get a little weak when I get to preach. You understand what I'm talking about, Matt? Uh, like when you get in that truck and take off, you probably think, boy, this is going to be a trip, right? Well, this morning I was having my quiet time while Gloria was getting ready. So that provides me with plenty of time to think. And uh, with all due respect, but look at her. I mean, come on, 81 years old, look at that. I, I'm grateful and thankful that she takes the time. This morning I want to share with you a message that uh, is entitled, A Life-Tested Faith. Our scripture is going to be Revelation chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and want to turn to that, if you have your iPhone, you can get to it, fine. It'd be good too. Revelation chapter 3, and it'll be on the board, and I'll read that in just a moment. But as I was in my quiet time this morning, I thought about every one of you. I had no idea who would be here, because if the word got out that I was preaching, I wasn't too sure, you know. <laughs> but uh, by the way, Rob and Sue are having a great time after their luggage finally round, wound up with them after going to Las Vegas before it got to them, and so... I hope you have some good things to wear, Rob. <laughs> grateful that you're here this morning. Grateful that you're here with, in the video. And uh, I pray that this time will be valuable and, and uh, encouraging to you. Uh, there's a storm brewing. Now, it's not like the storm that we've been reading about on the news here lately. It's terrible over there on the East Coast. Repairs will be made. Uh, some lives will be restored, and life will go on. The storms I'm talking about are the kind of storms that just literally stop us in our tracks and cause us to fear and cause us to make decisions and things that really don't uh, acknowledge the presence of Christ in our lives. We sort of want to take it, things into our own hands at times, and and when that happens, our, I'm pretty sure our faith suffers. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, a life-tested faith. Revelation chapter 3, 7 through 13. I'll be reading from the NIV. I think that's what's on the board here. To the angel or to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia. Now, this is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You all know that, right? All right. And it's Jesus speaking through the author, the Apostle John. These are his words. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Jesus goes on to say, I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him listen. Really what Jesus is saying there at the end is simply, what he's simply saying is the Father and God, these are my people. I'm putting my name on them. They are mine. In this third chapter of Revelation, we find seven churches. Seven churches that Jesus, the Lord of, of the church, through the Apostle John, addresses some issues that the church needs to correct. All except for the church in Philadelphia, which Jesus does not mention any of their shortcomings. I just read it. I'm sure they had some. But Jesus uh, doesn't focus on our shortcomings. He'll, show, he'll focus on our, the solutions and the protection that he provides. What Jesus does focus on is their faith and how they have persisted through all of life's trials and tests and different storms that come up in our lives, in their lives too. For us here today as individual born-again believing Christians, the message, the message today may be one of the most important when it comes to staying the course in our faith, especially during difficult times. Personally, personally, I like getting out on the lake with my boat, enjoying a fun day of teaching a worm how to swim. <laughs> early, in, early in the morning, the water on the, the water on the lake is calm. It's beautiful. My boat easily goes where I want it to go. But by noon, a breeze comes up, and then a slight wind begins to blow. The calm waters start to ripple, and then the waves begin to appear. And that's the way the storms in our lives are. It starts out really calm and just gradually builds. In that moment, my boat leaves my control, and it begins to go where the wind wants it to go being tossed about and out of control. And all of a sudden, the joy of being on the lake turns to hard work while I constantly make the best of a worsening situation. As the wind begins to blow harder, I begin to lose interest in fishing. And I give thoughts to giving up and heading back to where I came from, the dock. Now, what could, what could all that have to do with my Christian faith or yours? I'm here to tell you this morning that there are difficult life experiences that come up in every one of our lives. And those periods of stress and emotion can act like the wind on a calm sea. They can toss us around until we just cannot take it anymore. We begin to lose interest. We begin to want to give up. I think of the story when Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and a terrible storm came up. Jesus was resting when his disciples uh, woke him and told him that they were all about to perish. It was Jesus then who stood up and commanded the winds to subside and the sea grew calm again. Oh yes, he did mention their faith at that moment. So with that said, let me just make a guess and say that there are, there's at least one here, today, maybe two here today. Maybe you're even out there on the video scene. Maybe you're, you're watching and, and Maybe you're just saying, Larry, I really don't have any faith. Hmm. 
Please let me share with you how the Apostle Paul answered that statement in the first century church out of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And he simply said, every one of us have been given a measure of faith from God. God has endowed every person born of this earth with a measure of faith. So the question is not whether or not, whether or not we have any faith. The, the real question is, what are we going to do with the faith God has given us? For sure, godly faith is not the same as flipping on a light switch. We exercise every day flipping that light switch on and off, believing that the lights will come on. It's not like the same, it's not the same as turning the key in your ignition switch, expecting to hear the engine come to life. But the principle is the same. The faith that God has given to all of us from the beginning is a faith that requires exercising. It requires once in a while being tested. To put our faith in Jesus Christ is not only to put our faith in who he is, but more so and also in what he did on the cross. Put our faith in what he did on the cross. If you really believe Jesus died on the cross, put your faith in that. And if you really believe he arose again forever, giving us our living hope, then put your faith in that. In the church of Philadelphia, Jesus spends his entire message to them regarding the faith, their faith in him and how they're passing many of life's tests in those days. Now, you may also be saying, wait a minute, Larry, if we have this measure of faith from God himself, why does it need testing? The answer to that question can be found throughout the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul and Peter. We are told to mature in the faith, to be alert, to grow up. Another way of saying that is that we are to more and more, more and more rely on our faith in Jesus Christ. Based on our knowledge of the word of God, based on our reliance on God's word, especially through the difficult times. I like the analogy of the athlete that spends hours in the gym and on the practice field. Now, what good would all of that practice, what good would all of that preparation accomplish if they never got in the game? If they've never faced opposition? What if their athletic abilities were never tested? How confident would they be? of their skills and their abilities. How long would it be before they just simply quit? I hope all of that makes sense so we can see the value of the message to the church in Philadelphia. There's not much recorded in history about the church of Philadelphia, but I did find these facts in my research. It was known as the city of brotherly love. Probably because the word Philadelphia is derived from the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love, but with conditions. It is also evident that those in the ancient church took that meaning to heart. They loved Jesus. They loved him first. And Jesus was not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And so out of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation, only this church of Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna received unqualified praise and approval from Jesus. And that pleased the Lord of the church deeply. 
So who were these people? Who were these people in this Philadelphia church anyway, back in the first century? Well, Philadelphia was a strategically located town in Asia Minor. It stood between Rome and the Eastern world. It was also known as the Little Athens of Greece fame because of its many pagan gods and idols. Though the city was corrupt and it was filled with idolatry, the Christians there remained faithful to Jesus. Yet they had little power, little strength, as Jesus mentioned in the text today. They also faced terrible persecution. Ter terrible persecution from the Jews, which really weren't Jews, which we see in verse 9. But despite their weakness and despite their lack of strength, which Jesus mentions, and the opposition they faced every day, they trusted in Jesus and his word, and they remained faithful to him. Now listen, in a world filled with corruption, death, persecution, idolatry, they listened to Jesus alone, which is according to Jesus' own words, their greatest achievement. Remember, there's nothing new under the sun. So what we hear of and what we see today is no, really no different. As long as we, it'll be different when we keep our minds and our hearts on Jesus. This is our call today. It's the call of the church today. Listen to and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is more worthy than our listening ears. Listen to how Jesus introduces himself in verse 7. Let me just share that again with you. These are the words of him who is holy who is true and who holds the key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. In that, we have a, we have a foretold description of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the Holy One. Amen? I asked you, Bill, to say amen once in a while this morning. I know you can do that. <laughs> amen. He is the Holy One. What does that mean? It means that that is a distinctive attribute of God. He is God. Jesus is set apart. Jesus is perfect. He is pure. He is true. He cannot lie. He keeps his word. He is trustworthy. We can put our faith in that, can't we? Yes, God is good. But that's more than just a popular saying or chant or cliche. Jesus is the one who opens the door and shuts the door. He is the only one who has the key to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody's going to get to him through, uh, to him, to heaven through, except through him. Nobody will get to the Father. These truths require our faith in him, don't you think? We all need this message today. I need this message today. Because at some time or other, our faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested by life's issues. It's going to be tested by the storms that gradually begin to build around us. And when it is, we will need the everlasting word of Jesus Christ to help us stand like an oak in the storm. After the storm has passed, though, our trust and faith will be greater. 
as it navigates life's tests. Here are three truths about the words Jesus spoke from our text today. They're listed in your bulletin. Number one, the words of Jesus are an open door, an absolute open door for the faithful, according to verse 8. Number two, the words of Jesus are a sure and complete foundation. We can stand on his promises for his people in this suffering world. It was a suffering world in the first century. Guess what? And finally, the words of Jesus are a promise. A promise for his enduring, life-tested, faithful people. Raise your hand if that's us. Would you repeat after me? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I know him as my Savior. I hope that put goosebumps on you like it did me. Because what you just said, you just, you just made a vow and you just made a promise that by faith you'll trust him and you'll love him. So the door in this context seems to be the entrance to Christ's kingdom. With that being true, how important is one's faith in Jesus Christ, even and especially during difficult times? Yes, times are difficult. Of course they are. There's nothing new under the sun. But Jesus is a saying, yesterday, today, and what? Forever. I will let you answer that question of how important is one's faith in Jesus Christ. I'll let you answer it. But personally, personally, I want, I want a life-tested faith for my life and for my family's life. I want our faith to be tested so that we can grow and draw closer to that source. And if you're here today and you've heard for the, maybe the very first time that God has given you a measure of faith, perhaps you want to begin growing. Perhaps you want to begin maturing that faith. You didn't know, but now you know. You can do that, simply do that, by stepping out in that measure of faith that God has given you. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. In a moment, there'll be an elder at that prayer corner over there. It'd be a great place to go to talk to them, let them pray with you. I promise you, I promise you by my faith, Jesus will do the rest. He will do the rest if we would let him. And if you're here today and you're a longtime believer and you've been here for 50 years, more or less, and that your faith has gone just a little dormant, you can also live again by faith, by real faith, the faith in Jesus Christ, simply by confessing, Lord, I, I got frightened. I returned to the dock. And just rededicating your life, you can do that. I found this in my research this morning. I wanted to share it with you. It's a quote. 
And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through or how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure, in fact, whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain. When you come out of that storm, you won't be the same person you were when you walked in. Of course, confessing that we've been unfaithful or confessing that we have misunderstood our expectations from God, of course that's a weak moment in a believer's life. Of course that's weak, but Jesus knows of our weakness. He said that to the church in Philadelphia. He knows of our weaknesses. We can't hide that from him. He knows of our weakness and he is ready to revive us and relight our life-tested faith in him. No matter what the storm is, no matter what's going on outside, As the worship team would come this morning, I, I want to close in prayer. Kathy, you can come now if you'd like. I just want to close in prayer and, and, uh, and you'll be dismissed after our closing song of Open My Eyes. Open my ears so I can, so I can hear what the Spirit says to the church. Sometimes we just can't hear what the Spirit is saying to the church because it's our listening is so cluttered. Our eyes get blinded. We can't see the Lord because of all the distractions in the world today. And Jesus says, just, just trust me. Just trust me. Let's pray. Our Father, God in heaven, we're grateful and thankful. I, I am so thankful, Father. I am just the messenger, not the message. And so, Father, whatever anybody's heard today, whatever has entered their heart, I give praise to the Holy Spirit of God. I give you all the praise and the glory. By the time this day is ended, some of us will hear bad news. Some of us will hear good news. Some of us won't hear any news at all. But, Father, whatever it is that we hear, whatever storm it is that we are subjected to, help us to remember whether it's physical or, or memory or, or spiritual, Father, help us. Help us to allow you to take control when the winds of life begin to toss us around. We're going to give you all the praise and the glory in advance now, Father, because you promised. You promised us, your children, you promised us that you would never leave us, that you'd always be there, no matter what brings fear or anguish into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.